This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Hallelujah, as you're seated. Take your Bibles and turn with me over to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. Today we're going to be talking about experiencing the presence of God. Today I hope to provoke a passionate pursuit of the presence of God in our midst. We're going to open these altars at the end and I believe God is going to move and I believe that there is a work that God is wanting to do. When we open these altars, we didn't do it when we were in the worship time, but our pastors, our staff, our lay ministers, our prayer team are going to be prepared to begin to lay hands and just believe for God to do something in our midst. That God is going to touch. Amen. Today I'm excited because I know that the Lord is moving and coming out of revival We really sensed that God was wanting just to take some time and allow us, his people, to be in his presence, to soak, to wait, to seek, to knock, to keep tearing, to keep pursuing him. And when we have two services, sometimes we're constrained by the clock a little bit. Not that we want to abuse the time, but we just want to give a little bit of freedom to our time. And allow the spirit to begin to move. If we want to extend the worship, we can extend the worship. If there's a time around the altars where we're seeking him, that we can really begin to allow him to have that time. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to continue to be in one service. I believe that as a hunger for God, and it's the key, I opened our prayer to time today, that as a hunger for God and his presence rises up among us, there's a hunger and a, and a passion for him as we do that, that God is going to meet us. He's not wanting to hide from us. He, he, he desires for us to pursue his presence, to get into his presence and to know him in a greater way. And when we, we begin to just pursue him and seek him and understand what does it mean to, to be with him, he meets the hunger of his people. He meets the hunger and he comes and he he begins to, to touch you. What you pursue becomes your passion. It becomes your purpose. What you set your focus on becomes the, the intention of your heart. That begins to grow within and, and all of a sudden there's something that begins to change. God wants to interrupt our routines And he wants to just come and he wants to find uh, uh, his people seeking him and longing for him. And I hope that that's your heart today. Amen. That God's agenda becomes our agenda. So, Lord, one more time. We just ask, Lord, that you would speak and you would minister. Father, you would speak and minister to your people so that, God, our ears and our eyes and our hearts would be open and alert that God we would hear you that you would show us who you are in fresh and new ways would you just say Lord speak to me use your word to speak to me 
And all God's people said, amen. Scripture provides endless examples of the children of God getting into the presence of God, where God would touch his children. They were marked by him in his presence. Over and over again, we see men and women of God where where they would get alone with God. They would seek God. They would relentlessly pursue him. And as they did, God would minister to them. I believe that that's what God's calling us to in this season. If you look in the Old Testament, you would see Moses was convinced that without the presence of God, that it would be useless to attempt anything. In fact, he said, if you don't go with me, if your presence does not go with me, don't take me from this place. Man, there's been so many times that I've cried out to God, Lord, let me sense you. Let me feel you. Let me know that your presence is with me. Can I get an agreement in the house? I wonder how many of us today are saying that is, God, I've got to sense you and know you and hear you and know that your presence is with me, and I'm not leaving until I know that that happens. Hunger for God stirs up when we desire the presence of God. It stirs something within us. When you look at Abraham, even in Abraham's life, those around him recognized that he had been with the presence of God. In Genesis 21, Abimelech said, God is obviously with you, helping you in everything that you do. You see, when you get into the presence of God and and God touches you and you know that his presence is with you and you don't leave his presence until you know that you've received the glory of God in your heart and your life, God then goes with you. He guides you. He preserves you. He blesses you. And wherever you go, others can see that God is with you. Can I just get a yes, Lord, in the house? God promised Joshua. He promised him that no enemy, no enemy could stand against him because his presence would be with him. In fact, we know Gideon was seen as one that was weak. He was a coward. He was one that was hiding. And yet God showed up and he said, mighty soldier, the Lord is with you. Which tells me no matter what I think of myself, no matter what I may be feeling, no matter what I may be sensing, God shows up when I get into his presence and God sees who I am and the potential of what I can become and he begins to speak into that. Can I get an agreement? Isaiah, Isaiah 46, we have a promise of those who love him and get into his presence, God says through Isaiah, fear not, for I will redeem you, for I have called you by name. You may walk through the fire, you may pass through the rivers, but I will be with you. If my presence is abiding with you and you are abiding with me, no matter what you go through, no matter what tragedies come your way, no matter what hardships you may face, no matter what it is, you're not merely going to survive, but you're going to thrive because you are going to be blessed and favored because my presence is with you. That's what I'm talking about, and that's what we're longing for. Yes, every week we long for it, but we know that this is a special season of grace, that this is a special moment. If you weren't here Monday and Tuesday, let me tell you that that God was visiting us, and there was a, a visitation of the Lord. 
And man, I'm so sorry if you weren't able to be here because it was a special moment that we can't recreate. We can challenge you to go back and listen to it and try to receive it. But there was a special grace that was being released in the house and there was a prophetic call that was rising and it wasn't even what was being uh, spoken over the microphone, but it was what God was doing as he began to manifest his presence among his people. There was a cry that was rising from the hearts of his people. So for this season, we're saying, God, we want you to continue to visit us and let this be a habitation of your presence and that, God, you would come and just manifest among us so that we can sense we have been in your presence and we've been marked by the presence of God. Can I get an agreement? So today I want us to look at the story of Jacob, and I want to focus on Jacob. He's Abraham's grandson, the son of Isaac, The story is one that is very intriguing of what God does in his life and what I believe God will do for you and I as we continue to pursue him. Jacob's name means one that was a schemer or a deceiver. His whole life is wrapped up in his name, and it was that he schemed and he connived. He was a schemer and a deceiver, and it was seen by his name. Here's a guy who cheated his brother from his inheritance, it was, it was one of those important days that would happen in a, in a family, and he cheats his brother of his blessing. He cheated for land. He was a schemer. He always had an angle that he was working. He was always trying to, to get things figured out, and he was always finding a way to get on top. No matter how he could work it, he found himself on top. This was who Jacob was, and yet now Jacob comes to the point where he Schemes his brother Esau out of the inheritance, the blessing, the father's blessing. And now there is this moment where there's a lot of, of fear and guilt and shame. And he, and he finds himself running for his life. This is where we pick up in Genesis chapter 28. In verse 10, it says, Jacob left Beersheba. Can you see that out there where you're at? All right, seems like there's a tent over it. (laughs) Jacob left Bathsheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. And he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting, resting. Amen. We're slide two. Hey, man, help me, Jesus. <laughs> I heard it from the audience. Uh, I don't know if it's Jesus. Help my person in the back. Hey, man. <laughs> All right, go back to slide one for me. Let me get the whole sentence. Let me read it from my notes. That'll be easier, amen? Amen, sorry. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with his top reaching heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Now, I just sense, first of all, there is a word here today for somebody because when you look at it in the very beginning, it says, Jacob left Beersheba. Now, we know why he was leaving. 
But what I sense in my spirit is that there are some today for what God is wanting to do and where God is taking you and what God is going to do in and through you, there is a word that says there is something that you've got to leave behind. There's something that you've been hanging on to and God wants to take you somewhere, but you can't get to where God wants to take you because you've been holding on to something. And today in these altars, in a few moments, my prayer is that you're going to realize what it is, that there's going to be revelation to your heart and there is going to be a moment of brokenness where you lay it before him. Because whatever you pursue becomes your purpose. And if you keep holding on to who you were, you can't go to whom God wants you to be and where God wants you to be and what God wants you to do. And so here is Jacob, and he's fleeing. He's fleeing in fear and guilt. He's fleeing with shame. He's just brought disgrace over his whole family, the whole village. And here is this moment where he's going to encounter God. And when he encounters God, there is something that is going to be changed. And there is something that's going to happen in his life. And we're going to see it. And I want you to hear me today. When you experience the presence of God, God begins to change some things in our life. The omnipresence of God we know is that God is everywhere. But what we're talking about today is what's called the manifest presence of God. It's, it's, it's a special manifestation of God's presence where we know that God is in our midst. He's not only revealing himself to our spirits, but we begin to sense him in our mind, our senses, everything around us. It's as though we see him. It's as though we can hear him with a fresh uh, uh, sense of hearing in our ears. It's, it's all of a sudden we become overwhelmed by the presence of God that we know that he is in our midst and there is nothing that we can do but get down on our knees and get before God and say, God, I want you more than anything. I want Jesus in my life. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. James 4, 8, come near to God and he will come near to you. See, that's what I'm talking about as we get into his presence. In Genesis 28, we go a little bit further. In Genesis 28, verse 13, it says, There above it stood the Lord. There above the ladder, the, the gate going to heaven, stood the Lord. And the Lord God, the God of your father Abraham, his grandfather, and the God of Isaac... I will give you, speaking to Jacob and your descendants, the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out from the east and the west, the north and the south, and all the people, say all the people, of the earth will be blessed through your name. We're rocking in the blessing that God is releasing to him. And it's a blessing that God wants us to continue to walk in. You will be blessed in your offspring, for I will be with you and I will watch over you. Wherever you go, I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Man, the promise of God's presence and, and protection and, and what God wants to reveal to you and I. In verse 16, it goes on and he says here, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware 
of it. Now, can I tell you, God wants to reveal himself, but it is possible. It is possible to be in the presence of God where the manifest presence of God is manifesting himself and we miss him. I've been in services where God was moving, but there was something that was blocking me. I've been in those services where I was preoccupied, where I was walking through some things, where I was tired or fatigued, or I was just going through some motions. Is there anybody can give me a little bit of a witness that you know what I'm talking about? I was there, but I was not there. In fact, when I left, I thought to myself, I shouldn't even have been there because I really didn't get anything from being there because I miss God. I wasn't focused. I, I wasn't intentional. I was allowing things to block me. And Jacob said, surely the Lord was in this place, and I wasn't even aware that he was here. Thank God there was an awakening within his heart, and today there's an, there's an offer that will awaken us from the Lord. God wants to shake us up, and he promises us that if you will seek me, you will find me, and if you will become aware of what my promise and presence will do to you, I will do some things in your life. So it's possible to be in God's presence and miss him entirely. As a pastor, I've watched it in my own life. I've seen it in so many different ways. There's things in our life that keep us from encountering the presence of God. We know sin is one of those things. We know that if there's sin in our heart, it, it blocks us. If the Holy Spirit reveals it, it's the work of illumination. It's the work of the Spirit. If he reveals that there's sin in our heart and our lives and we refuse to repent of it and renounce it, it hinders us from receiving the power and the presence of God in our life. For God cannot dwell where there is sin. He is a holy God and he desires for us to be holy. And when the Holy Spirit convicts, he doesn't condemn, but he convicts us to repent and to turn away from it and turn to God. And when we do, we receive grace and mercy and salvation and the power and the presence of God in a greater way in our lives. Sin's probably the number one thing that hinder people who come into the house of God and yet don't experience God. And the reason is, is they are not repenting and turning from their sin. Unbelief is another thing that often will hinder us. The doubts, the questions, where the enemy runs rapid in our minds to make us question, is God real? Is this real? Is this what God really wants? And all of a sudden, we move from the realm of the supernatural into the realm of the natural, the logical, and we try to figure it out on our own. And when we try to figure it out, doubt begins to come up. A few moments, we're going to open these altars, and when we do, I believe God wants to begin to remove doubt and sin. He wants to remove apathy from our hearts. He wants to remove fear. He wants to remove a, a preoccupation with the things of this world. We can get so focused on this life that we forget that this life is not what life is all about for the believer. This life is just a journey that we're passing through. But there is another life that we are citizens of another kingdom, and it's called the kingdom of God, and we've got to live our life for eternity and focused and driven for eternity. 
But man, we're in the world and it's so easy to get caught up in the things of the world that it gets us preoccupied to think that this is what life is all about. We start holding on tighter and gripping harder and it becomes our focus. And then that lack of engagement, just a, a lack of pursuing and, and this apathy that's there, it's really a, a religious spirit that begins to take over our hearts that we know it, we've seen it, we've heard it, we've been there, we've done it. And before long, our hearts grow cold. Revelation calls it a lukewarmness. They know the truth. At one time, they were on fire with the truth and, and with what God was doing. But as time went on, anywhere, you know, from years to, 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 to a journey in their life to, to getting just used to the presence and the power and what God is doing, as time moved on, their hearts got cold and lukewarm. And that apathy, that indifference can block the presence and the power of God. Oh, I've heard about Jacob before. And before you know it, you're already spilling out the story. Oh, I've heard that before. And without us realizing it, we get cold, we get apathetic, and, and, and we get into a place where we take on the, the attitude of the Pharisees and, and we begin to be about rules and regulations instead of about the intimacy of being with the Father and that Jesus is there and everything is about him and we give him everything and we want him above anything and we pursue him at all costs. And so today, I'm, I, 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 in my own heart, in our heart, in our lives, We've got to eliminate some things. We've got to remove some things some leave some things behind at the altar today. I don't know what it'll be for you, but God will reveal it. Maybe it's a relationship you're in. Maybe it's a state of your moral purity. Maybe it's something that the enemy has brought into your life, and it's a bondage. It's an area that's got you bound, and you know it. You may hide it and not share it, but there is something there that when the enemy jerks the chain, you give in and you find yourself yielding to that area. God wants to break it today. Maybe it's something that's manipulating you. Maybe it's something that's influencing you as movies or television or music or other things that begins to replace things in our heart. And before we know it, we're being manipulated by it. Maybe it's just the attitudes of our heart, the judgments of our own heart. The great sin of Israel was murmuring, murmuring and complaining. And I find, honestly, I think it's the number one sin of Christians. You may not be sleeping around. You may not be living in adultery. You may not be, you know, caught up in pornography. But boy, do Christians like to murmur, complain, and criticize and judge. <laughs> How could I pastor a large church for so many years? I pastored Vienna Christian Center, which was a mega church, pastored it for 12, been here 11. How could I do it all that time? Because there's a lot of thoughts and opinion. Is All I can do is I walk away and say, Lord, I'm standing before one judge, and that judge is you. And I don't want to be cold or apathetic, but God, I can't please everybody. But the one person I've got to please is you, oh God. It's you that I've got to please. And the believers of God, we've got to realize, why do we, why do we say a prayer we want to build up? We're going to encourage because the sin that we don't know is the sin of murmuring and complaining that we get caught up in. And it was the sin of Israel. Sin of, Israel always wanted something different. They always wanted it another way. They always thought it was better at another time. And boy, 
we got to eliminate some things. So Jacob says in verse 17, he says that, that, that he was in that place. It was an awesome place. And he says there's no other place than the house of God. This is the gateway to heaven. Well, in this story, and I want to real quick to share with you a few thoughts of how God transforms us from the story of Jacob. It's God's process for spiritual transformation. By being in his presence, having encounters with him, moments with God that changes everything. The first thing I see in the story, I've been talking about it, but I want to dig a little deeper, is that God transforms Jacob in his personhood and in his character and who he is. You see, if we're going to have a transformation, God starts with who we are in the being, in the essence of, of, of who you and I are as a person. Another way of saying that is the character of who you are. Jacob, I mentioned, is running for his life. He's running in fear and shame. He's fleeing for his life. Now, you may not know it, but at this point in the story, he's 77 years old at this time. He's stolen the inheritance and the blessing from his father, and now Esau is going to kill him. And as he's running in that deception of what he's done, he's leaving and he's fleeing, and, and Esau is, is, is after him. And we know the family was a large family. We know that it was a very wealthy family and, and there would have been a lot of guilt. There would have been a lot of shame. It's overwhelmed him and he's fleeing for his life. He's utterly dishonored but his whole family and, the, and everybody in the village and everybody would know about it. And now he finds himself on the run. And as he's running, the scandal that's there, the dishonor that's there, the disgrace, the outrage, the reproach, everything that's there is an embarrassment. And we find Jacob is overwhelmed with shame. And in that moment of brokenness, God is going to transform him in his personhood. Can I tell you, in my own life, I have found so many times that it's in my moments of brokenness it's in my moments of pain. It's in those moments of, of loneliness or where I feel destitute or where I feel guilt or, or shame or even condemnation from the enemy. It's there where it's gripping my heart in that brokenness. And man, that brokenness always leads you to an altar if you're a believer, I'm telling you. God begins to reveal, and in the brokenness, I find myself in that moment of brokenness, crying out to God, and in that cry to God, he begins to transform the pain. I've watched and ministered to so many that felt unwanted, have felt rejected, have been afraid, have felt threatened. Maybe they've been abused. Maybe they've been so embarrassed or, or they feel left out or shut out or ashamed. And in their pain, 
if I can help them to understand that Jesus will heal the pain if you understand what it means to be in him and walk in him, but it starts right where you're at, and that is in the brokenness. You begin to allow him to begin to come and change you because you open up to him in a new way. It's in that brokenness that commitments begin to come out. For Jacob, it was surrendering to the supremacy of God in his life to begin to accept who God was and what God wanted. He was crying out, God, I need you. What I could say to us today is if you're in pain, if you're feeling alone, if you're feeling that, that there is guilt or shame or embarrassment or hurt, there is confusion, whatever it is, it starts by allowing yourself to cry out to God, to be vulnerable with God, to be vulnerable around those that are around you, that you don't worry about who sees you, getting on the altar and getting on your face and crying out and saying, God, I need you. It's yielding to him. In that moment of yielding, it leads to a surrender. You're, you're worshiping. You're surrendering. You're trusting him. What I love about times of revival in our midst is it's in these moments of worship that we surrender. And in that surrender, there's a spiritual hunger that rises up. And in your spiritual hunger, you and I become attractive to God. And all of a sudden, your circumstances seem to matter no more. And he moves heaven and earth to find a worshiper that's surrendering their life, no matter how they're feeling and what they're going through. When you begin to soak in his presence and worship him, you may not have any words to pray or words to say, but you're just there. Maybe you're just singing the lyrics. Maybe it's a prayer. Maybe it's intercession in that atmosphere. He moves heaven and earth to touch you because in that moment, he longs to be with you and to heal your pain and to transform you and to turn your heart around and man at that time he comes in no other way that we see him what's interesting about the story it's not a part of you know of a, of a goal for me today but after he had experienced God and and dedicated and said God was supreme in his life yielded and trusted we see in verse 20 that he makes a commitment that he's going to tithe 10% to the Lord now, we usually don't put that together with the presence of God, but Jacob did. He says, I will, I will give a tenth of all that you have given to me back to you. This place where he was meeting God is called Bethel. We're going to find that out in our story in a few moments. Bethel becomes a place of dedication. It was a, a place of developing his love for God. It was a place where he was broken. It was a place where God begins to change his character and the person of who he is. If we were to go to the next chapter, which we won't in our story today, but if you were to go to the next chapter in, 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 in chapter 29, he leaves Bethel, this place where he's meeting God, and he goes on to meet his uncle, and it's there that he meets the love of his life. Now, I just find it interesting when you get broken before God and you get to Bethel, which is a place of revelation, all of a sudden God begins to reveal a lot of stuff you didn't even know you were looking for. Amen. 
Let's fast forward over to chapter 35. Chapter 35 picks up for us a little bit of our story that happens in chapter 33 and 34. It's kind of a re, restating it. Then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel. He's already been to Bethel. He's gone now, and we have the story where he works for seven years for the love of his life, Rachel. And on the wedding night, uh, uh, without realizing it, the, uh, the, 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 the father... His uncle trades out the older sister and uh, he spends the evening with Leah to wake up the next morning and to realize <laughs> he was so excited about the honeymoon, he didn't realize what was happening that night. I don't know, but I shouldn't have said that for all the singles in the room, but he, I don't know how he didn't know what was going on to wake up the next morning and realize whoa, this is not Rachel. And we know that he has to work seven more years and, and, uh, and all that begins to take place in that story. But now it's time to move on. He's leaving his uncle Laban and, and he's gonna be taking his family. He's become very wealthy at this time. And God says to him, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar to God. Build it there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods that you have with you. Purify yourself and change your clothes. So he says, we're getting ready to move back to Bethel. Bethel was a place of revelation. Bethel was a place where God was changing his personhood and his character and it's time to make some changes. And God says, I want you to go back there and I actually want you to camp there. I want you to live there. Bethel was a place where he was seeking God and he was crying out to God. He was in a place where he was wrestling with God and waiting on God. And it was at Bethel that God was about to do something new in his life. It's back at that place of revelation, back at the altars of God back in a place where God's presence and spirit can begin to flow and move and, and minister. So on his journey back, Isaac has another, uh, 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 Jacob has another encounter with God. And not only did God change him the first time, but God now had a deeper work and there was a second change that God was going to begin to do within him and it comes out of being in the presence of God. Now, if you're reminded, Bethel marked where he first met God. It was a place of brokenness before God. It was a place where God was changing his character and his personhood, and he was transforming his pain. It was at this place that God was going to do something again in his life. But this time, God was going to begin to change his perspective. You see, his person, his character had already been changed, but now God is wanting to change how he views things and how he sees things. It's, it's going to a deeper level of glory, to a different place with the Lord. Back in chapter 32, we have the story, and our scripture is going to pick up with it again here in chapter 35. But in chapter 32, we have this moment where he's wrestling with God. And as he's wrestling with the angel of the Lord, as he's wrestling with him, the Lord is about to change his name. In fact, in verse 10 of chapter 35, 
God said to him, your name, he's picking up the story back uh, uh, now in, in chapter 32 of what happened in chapter 32. The story's getting picked up again, and he says, God said to him, your name is Jacob, but it will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will now be Israel. So he named him Israel. After that time of wrestling with the Lord, the angel of the Lord, God was breaking even more within him. But what he was really wanting to do was identify the identity of who he really was in Christ, in the Lord. What I find in those moments where I'm in the presence of God, I'm in the altar, I'm pursuing God with everything. Not only is God changing my personhood, my character, but God begins to change my perspective. You see, what I focus on gets bigger and bigger and bigger if I don't include God in it. But when I begin to focus on God, all of a sudden the things of this world, when I'm soaking in him and pursuing him and seeking him and worshiping him, all of these things around me that had my focus and my drive and my attention no longer has it because now God becomes the supreme in my life. And so God began to change his identity and he began to change his personhood, yes, but it was going deeper. Now how he saw himself, because when the Lord said, who are you? He answered, I am Jacob. So he said, I'm Jacob. Jacob means deceiver, schemer. He still saw himself that way. My question is, how do you still see yourself? What do you still see in your life? Even though you're walking with God and living with God, even though you're saved and you know that you're saved, how do you view yourself? And is that hindering the power and the presence of God in your life? So here we see, he says, I'm Jacob, I'm a deceiver. But man, as he wrestled with God that night, as he encountered God that night, something began to happen and God changes his name to Israel. And when he wrestled with God, God brought him face to face with him. And in that meeting with him face to face, he began to really show him who he was. Can I tell you, man, it's in these moments and there, there's a powerful revelation here in the place where he wrestled with God because God began to change his name and he changed it from Jacob, schemer, to now Israel. And he was showing him, you have a new identity. He's prophesying, your descendants are gonna be from the east to the west. And he began to begin to prophesy all these things over him. And there was something that was happening within him. And then it says that, Jacob names that place Penal. Penal means that I have seen God face to face. Now, when you seek the presence of God and you seek the glory of God and you seek to get with God, all of a sudden what happens is you're coming to a place of Penal in your life where you're saying, God, I want to see you and meet you face to face. I want to view things the way you view them. I want a new perspective. God, I don't want to see it the way I've seen it, but I want to see from your perspective how you view me, how you view this. It just happens when you get with God and you begin to seek him like that, when you're in the presence of God, he begins to change your perspective. And he names it Penal, which says that he had this encounter with God, changes his name, and Jacob builds an altar. And in a few moments, 
just a few moments, we're gonna open up these altars. And I pray that, that we'll continue to have these moments where we prevail with God. Penal moments are moments where we get face to face with God. Penal moments are moments where we meet God. Moments where we get alone with him. We're hungry for him. We're broken by him. We're honest with him. It's moments where we build altars to him. We're making covenants and commitments to him. It's penal moments in our life where God begins to redeem our poor decisions, our bad decisions. He begins to redeem where we, we thought we were gonna find value, where we thought where we were gonna get fulfillment. In the penal moments of our life, God begins, begins to change the perspective. And in chapter 35, it was right after his name got changed that God begins to declare what happens. See, both of these places are important. Penal is a face-to-face encounter with God. It helps you to get your identity straight. It helps you to see things from God's perspective. Bethel is a place of revelation. You see, I need both of them in my life. I gotta get face to face with him to get revelation from him. And it's in that revelation that he changes my character. You see, it's it's not just about what I'm gonna do and and how I'm gonna be prosperous and, and all that God is promising. No, that's gonna come. That's not where it starts. Revelation starts with, who am I? I'm the deceiver. I'm the schemer. I've worked all my life for this. And God begins to do something. It's when I get in his presence and I get face to face with him and I really start wrestling that I get the revelation. And they both work interchangeable. Are you with me? Favor begins to happen. In verse 11 of chapter 35, God said, your name is Jacob and you will no longer be called Jacob, but your name will now be Israel. So he named him Israel and God said to him, I, somebody needs to just receive this today. I am God Almighty. Now, if you don't know what that means, that is he is El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. Shaddai. I'm gonna come back for that. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will come from your body. The land that that I am uh, giving to Abraham, I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I'm also giving it to you. The promise that you had is also coming to you. I'm giving it to you and I will give you this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at that place where he had talked to him God reveals himself in this moment as El Shaddai when he met God at Bethel when he experienced God in Penal he had come to understand who God was and what God was doing and God began to assure Jacob that his special presence and power would be with him and that he was El Shaddai You see, the spiritual transformation works like this. As God begins to transform your personhood, your character, then he begins to change your perspective. 
And as he begins to change your perspective, you begin to understand that you've come up underneath now the protection of El Shaddai. That there now is a confidence within you that all of a sudden you know God's power is with you. El Shaddai means that God is all sufficient. He is the all sufficient one for whatever it is that you may need. He is El Shaddai. He is all sufficient. And God was giving Jacob the absolute assurance of God's presence and his power that was with him and that God would go with him and for him and be before him wherever he would go, that he was El Shaddai in his life. Your descendants and, 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 and the land that you're going to have and the enemies that are going to come your way. In fact, God first revealed himself as El Shaddai to Abraham and Abraham falls on his face. And when he falls on his face, all of a sudden he begins to understand the El Shaddai is there. He has power. He is all sufficient. He is there to meet every need, no matter what it is. But before I get to El Shaddai, I've got to allow my perspective and my personhood to be changed. So all I can say to you in a moment as I open this altar is that he's El Shaddai. He may be wanting to work in your perspective and, and what you're going through and what you see and, and what, what he's been wanting to get your attention on. And there might be some things in your character that he's still trying to transform. And when you begin to wrestle with him at Penal face to face, he begins to give you a revelation and a new perspective of Bethel in your life. But let me tell you, you can't get to El Shaddai until you let him do this in your life. So if you've lost your job, I'm telling you, when you get into the altar, you can cry out to El Shaddai. But don't skip what he wants to do. And so all of a sudden, it all begins to flow together. If you've lost your job, you can say he is El Shaddai. If you're fighting a sickness or a disease or a cancer in your body, let me tell you today, he is still El Shaddai. Kids are going astray they're not where they need to be. All we can do is cry out as mom and dad lead the way, be the example, make sure our home is a home of righteousness where the banner of Jesus Christ is over our home and then we stand in the fact that he is. Turn to somebody around you and say, he's El Shaddai. If you're battling an addiction, you can't break it in your life. All I can tell you is that he is, he's El Shaddai. If your marriage is struggling, fight for your marriage. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your marriage. And know that he is El Shaddai. If you lost hope, I don't know where it is, but you've lost hope today. All I can tell you is he is El Shaddai. If you're lonely, you're tired, you're discouraged. Focus on El Shaddai. If you go back to verse 11 on my screen, verse 11, look here what he says. It says, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you. Kings will come from your body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you. 
and I will give you this land. I will give it to your descendants even after you. Then God went up from that place. When you look back to verse 11, it's implied. God's promise, to, and it's part of the transformation, is when we know we're under the protection of God, He's transformed our perspective. He's changed our personhood and our character. All of a sudden, we realize that we're walking because all of a sudden we've come under the protection of God. We are now walking spiritually with a strength of power within. Now, if you're a mature believer, you know what I'm talking about. Most people want this, but they don't want to go through this. They don't want to go to Benai, they, Penile. They don't want to go to Bethel. They don't, they don't want that process. They don't want to be broken. They don't want to be changed. They don't want all of Jesus and nothing else. All they want is the, the power of God and the promises of God way over here. But this, the, the, the assurance in my spirit that he's with me, that his power is with me, that I'm going to receive his promises if I'm going to walk in his purposes, comes from the journey of transformation. Panal moments, moments at Bethel where there's divine revelation. In verse 14, it says, Jacob, do I have verse 14 on the screen? Jacob set up a stone pillar at that place where God had talked with him and he poured out a drink offering. He was anointing it and he, and he poured oil on it and Jacob called that place where God had talked with him, Bethel. Bethel again was a place of divine revelation. All I can ask you today is, are you ready to go back to Bethel? If you go back to Bethel, you're going to get into the presence of God. From there, there are going to be penile moments in your life where you get face to face with him and he's changing your perspective. Some of you today, the perspective has got to change. You begin with assurance to know that I'm under the covering of God and there is a rejoicing in your heart, not for what you're going to get, but for where you know you are. You are in him. He is El Shaddai. He is my protector. He's my provider. He is with me. And then it just starts happening. You begin to walk in purpose. You begin to walk in promise. You begin to walk in power. You begin to walk in authority that you didn't have before because something happened. So I want you to stand with me all across this room. Where's my flag? Come on up here. Come on up here. This is Lynette. Lynette leads Fresh Flyer Dance Ministry. It's going to be on the screen as well. There's a story. Lynette, let's get in the middle here. There's a story of this flag. Lynette, I don't think you've ever heard me talk about this, have you? Before we came to Christian Life Center, we were missionary pastors. We were pastoring a church in Vienna, Austria. Let me get another dancer. And Hugh, you may want to get their flags ready. They're, they're going to want their flags. 
We were pastoring a church in Vienna, Austria, and God really began to move. It was, it was like this, where we just sense the presence and the power of God. And can I tell you, it really, we, we landed in it. We didn't bring it. We weren't the reason it came. But Candy and I landed in the midst of a revival. The church was running a few hundred in the middle of Europe. And there began to grow a hunger and an expectation. There were times that we would come out of revival like we just did. And we would know that we've got to keep going. It's not over. The speakers had to leave, but we knew it wasn't over. There was one time that we went nightly for 16 weeks. For 16 weeks, we went every single night. I think I had 25 different guys that came in and speak, and it didn't matter who was speaking. We had a different worship team every night. We were nine different congregations that made up, nine campuses that made up the church. And it was just a continual revival. One of the groups that was really leading the way all the time was our Filipino congregation. Our Filipino congregation. They, in every service, every environment, they always brought a spirit of Panao and Bethel. It was always get with God, get face to face with God. Let God change your perspective. Let God change your personhood. Know that you know that you know that you know that you know that he is El Shaddai, that you're under the protection of the almighty God. And then he'll transform your purpose as you walk in his power. Our last service, we were coming here to Fort Lauderdale. We had a big service like this. It was a Filipino conference, actually, and I was preaching at it. We were hosting all the Filipinos from all over Europe to Vienna, and they asked me to preach that service as our last service there. There were several thousand Filipinos there, and I love any Filipinos here this morning. Most of them were at Coral Springs. I, I love our Filipinos. When we came, we had one Filipino. And Candy and I began to pray and said, we need Filipinos in this church. We need Filipinos in this church. And we began to pray. And in our last service, they gave us this flag. I loved it. They had two of them, and they gave me this one. You see, when you encounter Christ at the cross, in Panau moments, in moments of Bethel in your life, it's coming to the cross. When that happens, he begins to change your heart, your perspective begins to change. And man, when the cross impacts your heart, there's a fire that begins to flow. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.